Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jay Park. Welcome to it. I just needed a little rock and roll to begin the evening. I'm just going to let this play. After that, I feel much better. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. A little Fleetwood Mac. Oh, well, to kick us off. Alongside me this evening is Troy. How you doing, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm sore. Yeah, you were telling me about your workout. Yeah, and I'll be telling folks more about it uh, tomorrow and Thursday night. But I'm going to Express Fitness. It's a 24-7 gym. So once you have membership, it's you can access it whenever you like, middle of the night if you feel like it. Whatever wonky schedule you have, if you're a self-starter, it's great. They got areas where you can do heavy lifts like, you know, deadlift and squat and bench and power clean. But they also have machines and all sorts of cardio equipment. Great place. I'm going to the location over, uh, what is it, where Lazona Rose is and Firehouse, the Hillwood Festival Plaza or Shopping Center or something like that. Right there on Zelda Road. It's very convenient, but they have locations in Prattville and Millbrook, um, Wetumpka, Clanton, all over. I'll be telling you about them more as the week goes on and a little bit of my own progression. Why the hell I'm getting myself into this, but I, I think it's worth it. And no contracts, no hassle. I just like the place. They just started up not too long ago, so I'll be talking more about Express Fitness. But right now, my butt is sore. From squats. Because of the workout. Yeah, from yeah, the workout. Stop looking at your radio that way, you pervert. Anyway, we're looking at the news right now. What's on the news there, Troy? That thing that drew Americans apart once again? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It's the uh, it's the Covington Catholic schoolboys. Now we're both Catholic schoolboys. And I don't think there's any when they kept saying Catholic school, I'm like yeah, it could be. I feel like the kids at Catholic, the boys, like the the whitey, you know, the honkies at those schools, not that different than Trinity or Saint. It's a private school. No. You're young. You're 16, 17, 18. Some are more respectful than others, but you're a kid. Uh, yeah, a teenager, and you're just a little... Right. Young, dumb, and full of, well, you know the line. Red Bull. Yeah, full of Red Bull. I think Dr. Cox says something different in Point Break, and his name isn't Dr. Cox in Point Break. I can't remember what the agent's name is. Yeah, I I, I call him Perry. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that is one of our pastimes. Scrubs? Scrubs, psych, 
thinking of, like I was just telling you off air, I've been binge-watching 24. Mm-hmm. And talk about a show that, it's pretty engaging, but it's also great propaganda. Like, there was a little cameo by, fight with me, my friends, John McCain. Like, just for five seconds, he comes in like he's some staffer handing the head of CTU a, you know, important report. And it's like, wait, that's John McCain. He's a senator. What world are you people living in? Yeah. I saw, actually, speaking of that, I saw a, a Lego movie trailer, and apparently Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in it. She has a cameo. Really? Yeah. Oh, my. They were, like, naming off the characters, like, I can't remember the main character's name. Or Batman. The, well, the, he was in it, yeah, yeah but he's Batman not like the main character. Uh, uh, Chris Pratt's character. Yeah, The okay. builder or whatever. Right. And uh, the chick, and then Batman, and then Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a Lego figurine of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This was in the middle of that horrendous football game yesterday. Ooh. Never, I'm just going to get this out of the way. That was the most egregious referee mistake I have ever seen. Yeah. And that game, was blatant. That was so bad. Yeah, blatant. And, you know, this is what I want people to talk about. I mean, people can talk about what they want, you know, my opinion aside. As opposed to the, the Covington thing? Yeah. No, it's that's my reaction to a lot of this political stuff. It was actually my same reaction to Charlottesville. That was worse. There was actual violence and somebody died and that was pretty bad. But... I watch stuff like that, like a viral video. It doesn't necessarily have to be political in nature. It could be whatever type of viral video where it's like an intense, violent, potentially violent event. And everybody's sitting there like macerating their strawberries like, oh, I think it means this thing. This is this is the symbol of our political discord and polarization. I, I gotta say, uh, that's not how I macerate strawberries. <laughs> But regardless, I, I completely agree with you. I, yeah. I can't use the A word, right? So can I say a-hole? You can say a-hole. You can also say ass. Okay. But uh, you cannot say the, those two words together. Right. You have three different groups of people here at this Covington event. Each and every single one of them, in their own way, escalated this to the point where they're all, they're in my opinion, they're all a-holes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And... So, so, many, so many people that saw the edited version when it first came out had made up their mind so that when the quote-unquote true facts came out, also the mom didn't really help when she went off on the whole black Muslim thing. Uh, f- first of all, it's their black Hebrew Israelites. Yeah. They claim to be the lost tribe of Israel or something. Yeah. They, and they're a strange hate group. Oh, yeah. You, strange see, video, separatist you group. see videos of them all the time in New York. Like getting into fights because of it's like those preachers that used to come to Auburn and right. just you're all fire and brimstone. You're all whores and yeah. you get they're getting your girls drunk and high and the, oh, oh they, my God. they say inflammatory things solely for the purpose of being inflammatory. But people saw this video, they saw the edited video, and all of a sudden these boys are bad. The, that one kid that took off his his hoodie didn't need to escalate that but i've been a teenager in that situation everybody's amped up someone's gonna do something to amp it up even more right now when they get to college it's gonna end in a fight and then they're gonna learn i don't like getting hit in the face right and i don't like punching somebody in the face it breaks your hand half the time yeah it's not wrestling 
but we got it all on video, but we only saw the edited video. You see the full video, and you're like, okay, those the black Hebrew Israelite, Israelites are <sighs> clearly being inflammatory. But the people that had already made their mind after made up their mind that these kids from Covington were horrible people, and obviously everything that's wrong with America, they had already made up their mind when the unedited information came out. They were like, well, this is just this is clearly them being too white. They've never experienced those black Hebrew Israelites. Right. Well, and also, like, maybe what? maybe it's my white privilege, but if I'm so privileged, I can't hear you. I can't understand another perspective, folks. But actually, after watching all the fallout, and luckily there are a lot of people um, in major press outlets, like The Atlantic, they have several think pieces on this today, people essentially apologizing. I had made up my mind. I saw the edited version. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I watched the full video, kind of put myself in that kid's shoes. If I was a teenage kid, uh, you know, what would I do? And you can see all of the emotion go through his face. And the, the, the kid that's standing there, just taking the drumbeat to the face. Right. The kid that's just standing there. I don't, I don't have, what's he supposed to do? I mean, like, if, if that were me, I probably would have said something. Right, I would have too. Because he just, he just stood there looking like the kid from Dead Poet Society <laughs> with like, a smile on his face. And everybody's like, I could see behind that smirk. I know exactly right. what it is. Right, it's a Rorschach test. Yeah. Or as they say on Impractical Jokers, a horse shark test. (laughs) (laughs) Is that horse shark? Yeah. (laughs) It's a Rorschach test. A lot of people amped up for whatever reason, most of them political reasons because of the MAGA hats and all that. See what they want to see. But as I watch this whole thing unfold, all the fallout, the guy that I don't like is the Native American Vietnam vet. You know what? Hearing, since he actually got interviewed and got to get his side of the story out, hearing why he did what he did, I totally get it. I get why he got in between those two groups of people. To me, though, I I guess I could get it, but more that I heard him, I was like, what is this over-the-top savior complex? Where he's like, I was trying to get in between these two, like, hate groups and the... The whites were yelling at the blacks, and the blacks were yelling at the whites, so I came in with peace. And by peace, I mean just walking up and drumming quietly from somebody's face. It was the other guy that had the drum. He was clearly feeding off of everything. Yeah, This guy, I mean, look, his his, uh, credentials, so to speak, uh, being an elder, Vietnam vet, doesn't make him a good person. Right. But you... It doesn't make him a bad person either. No, it doesn't. But it does sort of add to the list of things in this country that we're raised to be like, okay, you get a certain measure of respect there. I, well, and yes, but I generally try to respect most people. You know me, I'm very sheepish about things, especially in person. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I'm very deferential. Unless you hit your limit. And then it's yeah, oh, then I'm, nuclear. Yeah, yeah, I'm zero to a hundred quick. Mm-hmm. But if Not somebody, salt of the earth. Salt the earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, I try to be salt of the earth until that day comes where it's like, turn it to glass. Yep. But when somebody tells me they're a Vietnam vet, I don't think more of you, I don't think less of you, I don't want to disrespect you or respect you more. The only thing that changes something in my mind is, oh, maybe there's something, how was it? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, like, what was your experience in Vietnam? Like my grand, one of my grandfathers is a Vietnam vet. Yeah. Like he had some, as an officer, some pretty darn interesting experiences. I've had yeah. the chance to talk to him about it at length. Other people that were infantry that were there, like that is a, a fascinating period in American history. So that's 
if you were there, what was your experience? But it was more the not the guy himself, though. Still, I heard the interviews, and he's like, "Oh, the the." I was just trying to bring peace to it. I'm like, okay, that's a good goal. I that, suppose there there are ways to de-escalate conflicts, and typically, and you can see this in like street fight videos, a guy getting in between two groups of people that are about to fight can de-escalate a conflict. Oh, yes, very quickly. But drumming, <laughs> like an inch from a person's face, it's kind of like when little kids are in the yeah. back seat on a long car ride. Like, I'm not touching you. It's it's and not technically like a, they're right. It's not like a tom or a uh, a bass drum though. There's no there's no reverb with that drum. No. Because if it were, and my ears started ringing, I would get heated. Yeah, well, if it had been a cowbell, I don't know what would have happened. Well, I, it depends on if I was from that cow college in Mississippi State. Or if I'd been in Blue Oyster Cult. Or if I was Bruce Dickinson. That's Blue Oyster Cult. And not Iron Maiden Bruce Dickinson. Bruce Dickinson, the great record producer. Who <laughs> <laughs> looks a lot like Christopher Walken. But it just... Uh, my general take on most of these things, though we're dissecting it, is, but we're not dissect, dissecting it in like, what's the political symbolism of it? What does this say about where as our country is? As soon as people started throwing up oh. those pictures, like, see, we're never going to have peace in our time. Like, what are you Look talk- at this. It's, the, it's an analog to the exact well, same people thing. People are pissed about the NFL game. Yeah. And they're not even Saints fans and they're pissed. Like, Conspiracy theory time? There's two different ones I could pull out here. It's rigged? Well, at least I watch a sport that I know is rigged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, LA's the big market team. Yep. The other conspiracy, this came from the top. Goodell? POTUS. Oh. Told the refs to miss that call on the Saints on purpose. Why? We're not talking about the Covington kids, are we? <laughs> came from the top. <laughs> Yeah, hey, Roger. Yeah, this is Goodell. Yeah, this is Trump. I haven't missed the call. <laughs> you know, that, I, that you know I have a crystal ball. You know I have a time machine. This ends badly if we don't solve this. And if you refuse, I'm sending in Jack Bauer. He, he, he confirmed this with Tony Romo, who seems to be 10 <laughs> seconds ahead of everybody else. Tony literally <laughs> called, like, the last 90 seconds of that game in all of overtime. He called the exact play. Yeah, that's what you get for having a recently starting quarterback now as your commentator. Yeah. He, of course he's going to read the field. <laughs> know exactly what's happening. It's not like Collinsworth or Aikman. Oh, oh Joe Gary Buck. Danielson. Oh, my. Oh, what a piece of work. Dan- I'm sure he's a lovely human being, but without Vern, what is Danielson doing there anymore? <laughs> well, it rhymes with relate. It starts with an F. <laughs> no, but I like this other conspiracy theory that it came, <laughs> it came from the top. <laughs> We're not talking about Covington, are we? Well, and then also, this... I missed it because we covered all day on Friday the BuzzFeed story about Michael Cohen was directed. He told investigators, and there's other documentation from interviews with people in the Trump organization, Michael Cohen was directed by Trump to lie to Congress. And all the back and forth from that, Rudy Giuliani and Trump, Cohen's a liar. He's a liar. Well, yeah, but you used to hire him and work with him. What does that say? But... This was a rare moment. I saw. I didn't see it till the next day, till Saturday, where Robert Mueller's spokesperson essentially came out, blah blah blah, bureaucratic speak. The story's inaccurate. It's it's because the I word came out. You know, the Democrats were going to force their hand 
in a way that only the Democrats can screw up. Yep. Yep, it, it's making me realize because I'm I'm like trying to be critical when appropriate of the president, but now that the Democrats are back in town with a little bit of power, I'm like I can't stand them. There are some good ones on the left side. Like I actually like Tulsi Gabbard for the most part. Um, I like certain Democrats on certain issues, like you know criminal justice reform. But like the power players, like Schumer and Pelosi, I'm, I. My head explodes. Maybe it's because they've been there for so long. I'm like this with McConnell, too. Every time they speak, I'm like, stop. I have a chance. I am not a turkey. I do declare. Yeah. Just please stop. And then everybody was like, the Covington kids are from McConnell's district. See? What does that mean? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Like, it's just the stupidity of people, like, seeing what they want to see. To fit their given narrative. And everybody's, I've been covered this before, acting like Howard Beale now because they have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel or a Twitter handle. So it's like, oh, I'm calling out all the hypocrisy and lies of the age. I am now this mad prophet of social media. And I'm going to tell you people how it is. And it's just like, no, you're most of the time you're wrong, even if you mean well. Yeah, and when they get proven wrong, it was it was all a ruse. Right, and but disappear in a flash of smoke and sparkles. I thought the Mueller thing, though, was uh, big because there was more background reporting on how that came about. BuzzFeed and that reporter for BuzzFeed actually contacted Mueller's spokesman before the story came out. Mm-hmm. And all the spokesman did, and he it once I read it, like it was pretty clear what he was telling them. FYI, look at this plea agreement with Cohen. We didn't, and essentially what he's saying is, we didn't accept this plea agreement unless we thought these were the facts and the conclusions. And in the plea agreement, Cohen lied, yes, out of loyalty. This is our assessment. That's why we accepted the plea. Had him sign it. But it was just FYI, read the plea agreement. And BuzzFeed still ran with it. BuzzFeed, I, I, I don't think their source came from the Mueller investigation. No, their source had to come from SDNY. They're saying, uh, well, they keep saying two law enforcement officials. So that could be FBI, that could be Southern, Southern District, District of New York. New York. Uh, yeah, it makes me wonder who's feeding that crap. And then I started reading, uh, go ahead. Another conspiracy theory oh. came from the top. <laughs> Here's what I mean. If you get the Democrats worked up, and a righteous, moralistic rage oh, yes. over something that they hate. I, I, gosh, I can't say it over the rage. They'll, they'll, they'll wet themselves? Red Rocket. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little puppy dog. Right. They were, like, ready to go. Yeah. They're doing the butt dance. Yeah, you force their hand too early, and it's obviously going to fail. That's why this is the first time Mueller came out. And what was hilarious to me, you mentioned people seeing what they want to see. MAGA Twitter was like, see, Mueller came out and said... It's obviously not true. So does that mean... Let me just... I'm sorry. Can we backtrack for a yeah. second? Does that mean that that you're going to agree with whatever Mueller comes out with because you just agreed with him saying... Him shutting down the BuzzFeed? Like, you just gave right. Mueller more credence. Well, and that's what I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on Robert Mueller. That's the person who's actually been investigating it. And until Saturday, and even with Saturday's brief statement, we don't know what they have. We don't know what conclusions they've really drawn other than court documents like Cohen's plea deal, like and Flynn's the, plea deal. And the indictments. Well, and the indictments, too, but those can be argued against. But that shows somewhat where they're going, too, with Papadopoulos and what uh, Paul Manafort, who he's in. Piece oh, of work. Yeah, he's in real, real trouble. 
My goodness. I, I keep reading about things that he is being indicted for, and it just keeps getting worse. Oh, and apparently people who know him, that's how he's operated for decades now. He's hes just one of these political operatives who's like, oh, I can make a lot of money in Eastern Europe, and he's, this is how he's operated. And he probably, probably would have gotten away with it all if it hadn't been for you dastardly kids and your dog, too. Like, it's just, if without this special counsel investigation and tied to Trump, I don't think Manafort ever would have been caught. So it came from the top. <laughs> right. No, that is, <laughs> there is actual theories out there. Because do you remember when Trump, there, it was a leaked, the story started as a leaked tape of Donald Trump's so-called press agent, public relations agent, talking to a reporter about how great Donald Trump is. But it clearly is Donald Trump pretending to be his press agent. And this happened, like, yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. And it's like, oh, how embarrassing that Trump would pretend to be his own press agent. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And then the reporter who's on the call finally gets interviewed. And she's like, yeah, I lost my recording of that. Like, I think it's just gone. I think I threw it out because I didn't think it was important. So the only other person who would have had that would be Donald Trump. So Donald Trump leaked to the media, Donald Trump pretending to be his own press agent. So Trump does crap like this. He plays the media really well. You don't become that famous in New York, that well-known, without knowing how to mess with these folks. Yeah. And it's just... Huge ego. Huge. <laughs> it's an interesting angle, though, that kind of clarified my thinking on this whole Russia thing. Because I actually am learning to trust the Mueller investigation. Just let that play out. We'll see what comes of it. Not listen to the media reports and all the leaks and all this stuff. Because there's a guy named Ray McGovern. Uh, he used to be a top-notch CIA analyst. And he heads with a lot of other guys who are former intelligence agents. Some real high up, like the architect of a lot of NSA programs, like William Binney. He came out as a whistleblower, describing metadata collection. Like, he helped create that stuff. And so we did, we created it before 9-11, but it was after 9-11, they turned that stuff on. Yeah, the budget. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this guy, they run an organization called Veterans Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, VIPs. They were actually started during the lead-up to the Iraq War and after. And so their bread and butter was the books were cooked. The intelligence was made up around the Iraq War time. And one guy who was caught up in the old Iraq war and faulty intelligence was James Clapper. Now, James Clapper admits in his own book that when Cheney and team came to me and said, we need a report on weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, he admits that he went towards the direction of telling them what the boss wanted to hear. When he easily could have pulled up satellite imagery and the spots they're accusing, based on other intelligence sources, the weapons would be, and he would have seen nothing was there. And he essentially admits this in the book. I told them what they wanted to hear, no reason to rock the boat, blah, 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 blah. And let's, so, let's go bomb a country. Right. So Ray McGovern got to asking Clapper a question. He's like, on your intelligence community review of what the Russian hacking of the DNC, is it possible that uh, you were telling people what they wanted to hear? your current boss at that time, Obama, because McGovern claims, I have no way of making this true or not. McGovern claims their people have looked at metadata from when that was 
hacked or whatever. The information was stolen. They claim it's not... It moved too quickly for it to be a hack from a remote area. It's more consistent with a flash drive. McGovern's story is that was somebody leaked it, got it to Assange, and that the information was moved on a flash drive. And Clapper responds, well, we have forensics backing us up. McGovern's like, what forensics? James Comey and the FBI didn't even go and get the server and do their own analysis. That was given to a private team that the DNC picked. What are you guys doing? And so all this whole narrative has been now constructed for going on two and a half years. I go back to the folks that were kind of in charge of the intelligence agency as Obama's on his way out the door, and there are two guys that I just, I have never trusted. James Clapper, who also lied about the Snowden leaks, like a Democratic senator, Wyden from Oregon. Has the NSA uh, ever spied on or collected Americans' uh, information? Clapper was sort of leaning down, rubbing his forehead. Oh, no, sir. Well, not wittingly. Which is just proven to be a straight-up lie. John Brennan, who was, I believe, accused by Dianne Feinstein, Feinstein at the time, another Democrat, of using the CIA to hack into the Senate intelligence computers. Like, dirty John Brennan, the guy who came up with the whole, like, drone presentation Tuesday. Here are our drone targets, Mr. Obama. Let's turn the CIA into a paramilitary force. Yeah. So I, I look at the top, and I don't know how to make heads or tails of this. There's so many damn narratives. I just know, and I've become really skeptical whenever I see a report, law enforcement, intelligence sources say... I don't buy it because it's what got us into war with Iraq, and I think it's what's some people in certain playing politics are using that sort of strategy in order to get what they want. Whether or not Trump did something wrong, I'm waiting a Mueller. Yeah, but the, it's an interesting case to say. No, I've never trusted these people. Why are we trusting them now? Because Trump is fast and loose with what he says. I mean, which he obviously is. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same point of, like, MAGA Twitter being like, Mueller said it was, it was like, this this whole time you've been saying this was a, a sham. Like, why why does this matter <laughs> right now? now? Right. Oh, the hypocrisy knows no bounds when you're playing partisan politics. That's, hypocrisy's a virtue. Yeah. You can say one thing, say another the next day. Most people aren't going to pick up on it. Because the goal is to win, it's, not to be truthful. It's the, I guess, the discourse of convenience. <laughs> Really is oh, but by the way, I just found myself, and maybe this is wrong of me, with the Native American Vietnam vet, like the drum in the face, the smirking, you know, honky young kid right across from wearing the MAGA hat, like whatever. Dead poet society, yeah, the poet society. <laughs> I, I just it wasn't him necessarily. His interviews seemed a little like, oh, get off your high horse, man. But in my, well, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> no, but I kept hearing other people saying like. He's a Native American indigenous person, Vietnam vet. And you know what was just rumbling up inside me? I finally said, I'm like, who cares? Who cares? Really? In this context, okay, that's your identity. You were in Vietnam. Like I said earlier, do you have any stories? That was your experience. What's your what's your experience as a Native American trying to keep that tradition alive? But in the context of what happened in this video, he's a Native American indigenous person, elder Vietnam vet. Okay, it was it just it sounded like uh, 
let's just pile this on. Let's play identity yeah. politics. Yeah. Way too much. It, it becomes, uh, yeah, at that point it's like, can I say the oppression Olympics? Yeah, you it's, just did. Yeah, he's the, the gold medal winner yeah. of the oppression Olympics. That being said. Well, he needed to be in a wheelchair. It, well, uh, the Paralympics, <laughs> which stands for Parallel Olympics, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Because it happens in parallel with the Olympics. Hmm. You know who taught me that? Jimmy Carr. <laughs> Man, those sumo squats I was doing earlier today yeah. remind me of one of his jokes about uh, midgets. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> on your way up, were you like, ha <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually, the we the internet, talking about politically correct speak, I had Lou Perez on the show a few months back, um, and it had, it's, a, it's a meme, and it's the famous photo of Martin Luther King Jr. speaking in Washington, D.C., the I have a dream speech. Okay. And at the top it says, I have a dream. And at the bottom says, would have been more powerful spoken by a non-binary person of color in a wheelchair. This is the oppression Olympics. Now, this is obviously a joke in taking that to an absurd extreme. Right. But it's like, if you look in MLK's background, he was no saint. I actually agree with... I don't agree with Cornell West on much, a professor uh, from Princeton, but he said we've sort of the, what's his term, the Santa Clausification of MLK. That he's just this kind of nice, cuddly man who gave gifts and great speeches. Cornell didn't go with deification? No, he wanted Santa, Santa Clausification because, number one, it's a little funkier than deification. Number two, it, you know, it does sound like something George Clinton would write. And number three, he's right. It's like he's just this nice, cuddly man who spreads love and content of character and yeah. wanted everybody to get along. Same thing with Gandhi, same thing with Mandela. Right. And no, MLK was complicated. Right. It, probably one of the greatest figures in American history. I think. Stands to reason. Uh, the city should build a huge. I've been trying about this for a year now, Troy. We don't just need a little statue in front of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. We need, like, like a colossus bestriding the Alabama River type of MLK statue. That is... Yeah. I like that. And then take some other, like Abernathy and some of the other civil rights leaders and put their statues right next to the Confederate statues, just a little taller and looking down. Let's preserve our history, but let's also let it, you know, reflect what actually happened. Yeah. Anyway, I think I've provoked enough people. I, I want to go back to the... The guy with the drum. Yeah, okay. I think <laughs> the way we're raised in this country, and it might not be that way for us now, but I think if you tick off certain boxes, yeah, Native American, you're taught, well, nowadays you're taught just how horrible we were to them. And I'm, Vietnam I'm, war veteran. Right. It takes the veteran status. And also Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, the guy even said, like, when I got back to this country, I got spit on. Yeah, it was, it was bad. You're afforded a certain level of respect, right? And what's interesting to me is that people seem to think that he did not receive that respect. But I get it. But where are the chaperones here? How how did they let this situation escalate? Right. Well, and, like and, all you got to do is point out the guys that are being super racist, the uh, the black Israelite yeah, group, black Hebrew Israelite. Yeah, all you got to do is point them out and be like, stay away from them. Right. It's not worth your time. Yeah, they're provocative on purpose. Yeah, 
just to get your attention. Yep. To share their fantasy nonsense beliefs. Yeah. And they're free to do it, but my God. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, it's just uh, most people are more, like I said earlier, more upset about that non-call in the Saints, you know, Rams game than anything else. It was horrible. It was. It but was so, it was blatant. That's what millions of Americans were actually doing on a perfectly serviceable Saturday. They were enjoying their lives. He got there early. Too early. Well, that was Sunday. I'm talking about Saturday. Oh. <laughs> oh. That pass interference was so bad, the cornerback, Roby, got there on Saturday before the pass was even thrown on Sunday. <laughs> That's how I know it came but from the top. these are the things Julie. we should be upset came about. from the top. Goodell. <laughs> Roger. I need you to make this happen. Roger. Can I call you Roger? I'm going to call you Roger. Oh, we get it a break. Listen to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Be right back. It's very French. Yeah. Very French influence. Uh, but by the way, the show is brought to you by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Now, I've been talking him up. He wants to be your buyer's agent, and he still does want to be your buyer's agent. Help you if it's a first-time home purchase. Avoid a lot of the pitfalls of what goes with that. But now he wants to be your full-service real estate agent. So not only if you're looking to buy, but also sell, Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group is your guy. Can make sure all your properties are for your single property, but you know, we can dream of having multiple properties, but be on multiple sites, all the big listing sites, whether Trulia or Zillow, what have you. But he'll also walk you through the process of why he's saying we should price a certain house at this price point. Here's a renovation you could do before anybody asks that'll make it move faster on the market. Here's how you do a successful open house. And he's not just going to do it. He's going to walk you through the steps. He's a very down-to-earth guy. He's used real estate investment, buying and selling, changed his own life. He wanted to start doing that for other people. And that's exactly what he's been doing for the last few years, and very successfully so. So if you are looking to buy or sell your home, Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group is your real estate agent. Give him a call, 322-0662. That number, 322-0662. Also check out the Goodson Group. Dot com. Be sure to tell Eddie when he, you know, he'll pick up very quick. He'll get back to you as soon as he can. That Joey sent you, because that's the whole point, you know. Helping people out, you know, people helping people, people helping people, people helping people, you know. Well, who the hell is this on line one? They've been sitting here for a while. I've got a feeling it's going to be a dial tone. And I'm, that's not an insult. It's just let's see. news talk here on there. Who's this? Hello. Well, somebody's there, but. Not there. There's a phone connected, but they're not listening. Get off my line one. 
just a free rider, doesn't have a radio, trying to listen to him. Anywho, the left. Because I try to be even-handed, Troy, but there's something about the left that just gets me going. Not in a good way. It doesn't rev your engine. No, it doesn't rev my engine. It more makes my engine sputter and spill oil everywhere. Well, something like that. But they... They leave almost some of these, and I'm not talking about your average Democrat. Like, I know Democrats. I know Democrats that work up on the Hill. They're great people in both parties. I'm, I'm, my whole thing is trying to look at people for who they are, not their political label. Get that. But those of you who have engaged in sort of this piling on, political correct, outrage, gotcha, cancellation culture, it's going to eat you. Like, they're starting to eat their own. Apparently now the Women's March has like four or five different brands now. The original organizers of the Women's March wouldn't denounce Louis Farrakhan for his anti-Semitism. So that led to a splinter group making clear, we don't like anti-Semitism. Fair. Which is, yeah, it's a pretty fair ask. But if, if you're doing a Women's March and you have more than one or more than two splinter groups, you've grown out of feet. What? If you're going to... <laughs> it's a it's a march. It's a march, right? It's not a crawl, right? You need two feet, right? Two groups. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my good friend Jeffrey Tucker wrote about this today. He said, "What's striking about the women's march is that there's one more result: the organizers hate each other now more than ever before. In fact, there were two separate marches in most cities. One being the original under the." a new name because the founder was kicked out and the other being a breakoff march that is protesting not only the patriarchy and every other imagined evil in the world but also the ruling class of the march itself which the dissidents regard as being dominated by the wrong demographic not women no, not women of color you know oh yeah it's just uh so it's it's not about women well, it's about having a true intersectional representation. These, this jargon too. Intersectionality. Yeah. No, I, you know what? At the bottom, of intersectionality. Once you stop emphasizing one particular identity and tr- stop ranking and stacking all these identifiers, it's is, a stop sign. Well, it's individualism. Oh. Okay. So, like people have dignity, no matter what they are, until they show otherwise. Nope. <sighs> They're not in the Impression Olympics, and uh, they don't get a seat at the table. Well, and apparently it's led to lower turnouts. Surprise, surprise. When solidarity falls apart, less people want to march. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're, say you want to march, but if you go to one march over the other march, all of a sudden your peers are judging you. If you go to the other march, those peers on the other side are judging you. And that obviously makes you a bad person. Right. It's like, how, how do you have time in the day? To have this many feelings. (laughs) I have a lot of feelings, Troy. Right, right. But these are semi-well-thought-out and hard-lined feelings. Oh, yeah. Well, my friend Jeffrey Tucker writes, though, thus does a movement founded on big social goals turn into on itself, like an Ouroboros. Oh, nice. Snake eating its tail, folks. 
expending most of its energy eating itself under the mistaken impression it could live forever this way. All political movements have this tendency, but none more than one rooted in the fusion of ideology and biology. Hmm. It's interesting. There's one line here where essentially says it's summed up in the phrase conflict sociology. Where are the irreconcilable conflicts? The varieties are essentially infinite. Find any biological trait, posit it as a collective interest, set that trait against all other traits, and the struggle for power and privilege. Your outlook comes to be characterized by loathing and resentment against the collective guilt of everyone but yourself. And on the face of it, I just, I hear stuff like that and I think it's nonsense. But then when I try to reach out and talk to people like that, I'm like, I try, and I know how not to raise certain red flags or push any buttons, but I, I leave often just shaking my head. This is not a healthy way to live. Like, and that's actually what Tucker goes on to say. Just about anybody can play this game. Whether this is a productive way to spend your day is another matter. It's, not, it's surely not a path to personal happiness. And listen to interviews with people who get really into this way of thinking, this form of politics. And the most fascinating interviews, though, are folks that came out on the other side of it, stopped behaving that way. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think a lot of people on the left miss. And it's not exclusively to them, but it just tends to be that way. And it's been that way since the 30s, like with George Orwell going to fight in the Spanish Civil War. Like, there's always been a lot of factionalism on the left. But it's leave room for growth leave room for flaws yeah leave room for people to change their mind you know Tulsi Gabbard immediately got hit when she announced she wanted to run for president that she helped her parents fight against gay marriage because her parents are very religious and conservative she's then said I changed my mind like I have my own views it's like well whether you believe her or you don't believe her but think it's very believable especially if she was working for her parents and she struck out on her own but it's stuff like that like if you're fighting for a cause why wouldn't you leave room for people to you know have difference of opinion these sort of things well because it's lack of control yes most of these projects are not striving for actual liberty and freedom for the individual person who has basic human dignities they're striving for their class, whatever class it is. It could be the proletariat or the working class or the middle class or women or people of color or handicapped people of color who also are women, but they're not women. They're non-binary. They're a woman one day, a man the next day. It's just like you can start to see where it, it's like, okay, yes, maybe you're all those things, but okay. Like, how does that, again, it's back to the oppression Olympics. Like, how is this going to change my view of you in terms of just basic human respect? It's not. And it's something about political movements when they find success. Nothing kills them like success. It's like when uh, the Obergefell decision comes down, legalizing gay marriage around the country. That's a huge success for the Democrats and for the gay rights movement. 
But a lot of people are going, that's not enough. So let's go to a guy that we know is like a devout Christian and make him bake a cake for our wedding. And it's like, you could buy a ready-made cake, but you, you want him to take his time and design it and use his artwork. That's why he won in court. Freedom of speech and expression, freedom of conscience. And yeah, maybe it's like you can judge him, the the baker, for not doing that. But at a certain point, I'm like, why are you going to somebody you know doesn't agree in order to force him through the government to do something? That's where it starts to go too far. It's, I got what I wanted, but I realize I'm still mad. Yep. It's like watching The Punisher. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Like he, in the first season, he got his answers and created a whole new monster. Right. Well, the second season, I haven't seen it yet, but it's like, what happens when you get what you want, but you still have all of these emotions that you use to help push you over the line? They're still mad. Right. Now that I have a seat at the table, I haven't forgotten that I'm angry. Well, and there's a great H.L. Mencken line that what most people want is not basic freedoms and rights. They want privilege. They don't want to take down the powerful in order to make sure everybody's equal. They want to be the powerful. And Jeffrey Tucker finishes off this essay brilliantly. He says, as for the real solution, the answer is the same here as always. Stop dehumanizing individuals by conscripting them into your chosen class structure. People are more complicated than class structures. Dismantle the institution that weaponizes resentment, which is often the state. Recognize that all people seek dignity and a better life. Some more than others. Some people are self-destructive. I know from looking in the mirror at times. Work for the only solution to social problems, which is freedom for everyone in the building of society without violence, power, and exploitation. Which won't happen overnight, obviously. may never happen, but it's a good ideal. Build a society of cooperation rather than inherent conflict. And he ends with a John Stuart Mill quote says, the modern conviction, the fruit of a thousand years of experience, this was the original liberal project, the project I could get behind, is that things in which the individual is the person directly interested never go right, but as they are left to his own discretion. And that any regulation of them by authority, except to protect the rights of others, is sure to be mischievous. This conclusion slowly arrived at and not adopted until almost every possible application of the contrary theory had been made with disastrous result now prevails universally in the most advanced countries. This is, I think, the late 1800s. Almost universally in all that have pretensions to any sort of advancement. It is not that all processes are supposed to be equally good or all persons to be equally qualified for everything, but that freedom of the individual choice is now known to be the only thing which procures the adoption of the best processes and throws each operation into the hands of those who are best qualified for it. Nobody thinks it necessary to make a law that only a strong-armed man shall be a blacksmith. Freedom and competition suffice to make blacksmiths strong-armed men. Because the weak arm can earn more by engaging in occupations for which they are more fit. In consonance with this doctrine, is felt to be an overstepping of the proper bounds of authority to fix beforehand on some general presumption that certain persons are not fit to do certain things. Always gets you in trouble, whether your goal is to keep people down 
or to liberate people and empower people. Well, I was just reading about fake news during Pearl Harbor. Like people are like, there are swastikas on the planes. People couldn't believe, a lot of commentators on radio airways couldn't believe the Japanese pulled it off because the Japanese aren't smart enough to do that. Bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. It's that sort of assumption beforehand that this person's the best fit or it's white men that have ruined the world or exploited the world for generations. It's like, well, people have exploited other people for generations, as Mill laid out in that quote. That's the history of it's, it's, the human race. And it's going to continue. This isn't Star Trek. It's going to continue right. to occur as long as the scarcity of existence happens. Right. We have infinite energy, perpetual energy. Sure. That might help things a lot. But people, We no longer need to have jobs because right. it's all automated. Right. We no longer need to use money for economics. Yeah. But we're nowhere near there. Things will change. Yeah, Yeah, but we're nowhere near that point. Even with the rise of AI and the, you know, the now, like, secular evangelists, like, the singularity's coming, brother. Here, microdose with me a little bit. What? Yeah, like, psilocybin microdosing. I'm aware of what microdosing is, but it's been evangelized? Sometimes when you hear the technologists, the futurists talk about like the singularity and stuff, it's a it's starting to sound like a new religion. Oh, okay. Where it's like you can't prove any of this. You have theories, and they may or may not play out. But the confidence at which you're like jumping into some of these things you want to do is starting to sound a little cultish. Yeah. Um, and so we're always prone to that. We're always prone to exaggeration and whatnot. That's why it's great to argue over sports, argue over movies, argue over things we know or sort of we made them. They're made up anyway, so let's argue over it. But when you start imagining all sorts of hobgoblins and monsters you got to take on. Or when you can't take an occurrence at its face value, you instead outright reject the reality and start come seeing, up with a conspiracy. Yeah, see whatever you want to see. The man in the grassy knoll. I mean, Trump on the phone with Goodell. Though, if this whole thing was a Rorschach test, like the whether it's the BuzzFeed story or the Covington kids on Washington Mall, all I could see when I saw that Rorschach test was boobs. That's fair. Thank you for joining me.